the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the College Football Conference Championship Weekend Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We go from having the handicap full slates with weekday games to just 10. Did you enjoy the uh, the process of deep diving on these 10 games? I couldn't be happier. Ten games to focus on. This is kind of a bowl prep weekend for us. Yeah, I love doing this. You know, it's bittersweet because I will miss the whole full cards. But just to take ten games, spend extra amount of time on them, it's a beautiful thing. By the way, before we get into all ten conference championships, Arkansas big, big. Hmm. I was going to make you do the episode with a neck brace if they didn't cover for me. <laughs> I, I thought I saw you when they stormed the court. I thought I saw you running toward Petrino to get a uh, secure an interview for SEC Media Days. Yeah, I I wasn't on the court, but I was within proximity of uh, Petrino and Pittman, and I don't think I saw Pittman crack a smile. In 30 minutes of just looking up there, I don't think I saw him crack a smile once. Petrino, though, looks like a kid just woke up on Christmas, feeling his old roots, sending out tweets about how much he misses Ryan Mallett. I mean, this Petrino thing is just going to be such a hot topic. I can't wait. Woo, pig suey. Uh, just to give people a heads up on scheduling and some high level stuff, since it's not going to be, they're not going to be normal weeks moving forward. We will have our normal recap episode on Monday. So don't forget about the voicemail 959 Bad Beat this weekend. We will have a new BCS episode, which will be out wherever you listen to the podcast, also on live on YouTube, 10 30 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. We'll also talk Army Navy. In that episode, and then we won't have, obviously, you have a group of five or regular betting preview episode for next week since it's just Army-Navy. And then we will, but we will have a three-man week college basketball episode to ramp those up to three times a week in the new year. Week of December 11th, we'll start talking bowl season. So we'll have periodic episodes going over groups of bowls in chronological order. Uh, So just stay tuned on Twitter. We'll keep you guys all updated. Uh, Also, as a reminder, the BBOC podcast presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, terms and conditions apply, must be 21 or older, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The interesting thing about this card, which made it, I think, one of the most difficult handicaps I can ever remember for a conference championship weekend, there's 16 quarterbacks who will start under center on Saturday with eight games kicking off. Nine of the 16 quarterbacks either didn't start the year as the starting quarterback or lost their job at one point during the season. And you have two true backups who didn't play, uh, you know, 
Well, Adion Smith took over for Miami, Ohio halfway through the year. You have Kevin Jennings is going to you know, start for the first time for SMU. You have Tate Rodemaker making his second start for Florida State. So there's a lot more quarterback uncertainty than you usually see on conference championship weekend. All right, let's go in chronological order. Let's start on Friday night with the first conference championship game. Conference USA. New Mexico State and Liberty. Liberty is a 11-point favorite here. Over has taken a ton of money up to 57. New Mexico State, okay, the Ponzi scheme, they've covered 10 straight games. Coming into this weekend, we have a lot of the best against the spread teams in the country playing. New Mexico State, 11-2, and 6-1 and as an underdog, covered 10 straight. UNLV, 10-2, and 5-0 and as an underdog. Oregon, 9-2-1. Miami, Ohio, 9-3. Those are four of the seven FPS teams with at least nine covers on the season. The other three not uh, playing this weekend are Arizona, Jacksonville State, and San Jose State, which all easily could have made it. A couple other games broke where Jacksonville State was eligible. Liberty, by the way, wasn't too far behind. They finished 8-4 and four against the spread. I, I can tell you earlier this season, I bet Liberty at home. This is a a uh, one of the... I think four rematches from the regular season this weekend. And it is worth noting that historically conference championships, about 50% against the spread for the team that lost the first match or won. but the team that lost the first matchup has improved the scoring margin by about an average of seven points per game. So, you know, maybe they make the adjustments that they would make the team that lost, maybe favor them a bit earlier this season. I played Liberty minus nine and a half at home against the Mexico state covered that game. They won by 16, I made that like close to 12. Since then, I've upgraded New Mexico State. I've also upgraded Liberty, who's arguably been the best group of five team. So I'm close to like 13-ish here. Neither team has played anybody. Their schedules are both a joke. They play in Conference USA, but they have a really similar schedule. Obviously, they're in the same conference. They both played UMass. So they've played eight common opponents. If you remove garbage time, UMass, uh, Liberty won by an average score of 40 to 19 against those eight opponents and outgained them by 165 yards. New Mexico State won by an average score of 27 to 18. So, you know, almost two touchdowns less and only outgained those opponents by an average of 30 yards. So 165 to 30 and 21 average margin to, and look, New Mexico State was tied in the fourth in a number of those games and they lost outright by 16 to Liberty. New Mexico State does have a special teams edge here, which I think is worth noting. Both run heavy offenses, both top 10 in line yards, top 10 in rush success rate, both top 15 in tackles for loss allowed. So you're probably not going to see a lot of negative plays, but the Liberty defense is top 30 in line yards. Mexico State is 79th. I think that the Liberty offense, both offenses should have some success here, but the Liberty offense, I think, will have easier past success. Being at home also obviously helps. I would lean Liberty, but I, there's not enough value for me to get involved past to me. But throwing around Robin, maybe I'll start off with Liberty just for some action on the game. What do you see here? Well, I fully endorse the over. Each team is heavy and running, and neither team is really that well-versed in stopping it. More specifically, can Liberty 
defend Diego Pavia and what he has turned into. And you have to look like when's the last time they faced a mobile quarterback? I mean, Grant Wilson of ODU had 60 yards, but it didn't matter. They lost 38 to 10. Uh, Liberty did face Keegan Shoemaker of Sam Houston. Now he did make a difference. He had 52 yards on the ground. He averaged 7.4 a carry and Liberty won that game just 21 to 16. So you have to ask, you know, can Diego do what he did before way back on September 9th? He had 63 yards on the ground. He averaged seven per carry. The problem in that game is he had two interceptions and a fumble. You eliminate those mistakes. They probably still would have lost the game, but covered. New Mexico State punted just twice in 10 offensive possessions. To me, that tells me if you can just get to scoring opportunities past the 40-yard line, which you were able to do before, but you had three turnovers, if you eliminate those turnovers, you're going to be able to keep up here. New Mexico State is all inside zone and power with Diego. Liberty's defense is terrible against inside zone. They only have a 44% success rate. It's extremely low. About national average is 52%. And they are allowing a boatload of explosives from inside zone. So I and do think that's a schedule with that success rate. 133rd strength of schedule in the nation belongs to Liberty. That's only considering FBS teams, so it is the worst. Uh, when you go to the other side, I just I don't see any resistance for Caden Salter and Quentin Cooley, uh, running back, quarterback there. Uh, New Mexico State's 90th in defending the run. They're 89th in tackling. There's going to be some arm tackles that get broken here. So I fully endorse the over. We've got to go to the ledger and fix the accounting here. I took Liberty plus 280 futures on the podcast with uh, with Ionello and, and Calabrese back in the summer. So I'm not hedging that ticket that I have. I would be interested in taking Liber- uh, New Mexico State at 13 for a unit, but it's not there. It's at 11. Looks like that's what the buying point's going to be. And if it stays there, I'm just going to write out the future, but fully endorse the over. Let's get to a game, the other game on Friday night, which with much bigger national implications and... We'll talk the last Pac-12 championship game ever. Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC between Oregon and Washington. Oregon, nine and a half point favorite here. Under is ticked down to uh, from 68 and a half to 65 and a half. Unprecedented situation here. You have a top five team that is undefeated as that won the regular season meeting as an underdog of more than a touchdown in the conference championship game. Now we have seen two other teams in their conference championship that were ranked in the top five and undefeated be underdogs of seven or more only happened twice prior. Alabama was undefeated in number one. They were plus 10 against Florida in 2008 lost by 11, but they didn't play in the regular season. And then in 2020, COVID year, when Notre Dame was in the ACC, they were number two and undefeated in the ACC championship game. They were plus 11 and a half against Clemson. They lost by 24. So neither covered. Why that this situation is different is, yes, Notre Dame did beat Clemson during the regular season, but if you recall, Trevor Lawrence didn't play in that first meeting. So this is... Uh, very unique situation. Casual recreational betters is probably going to jump off the page, this line, right? You say, wow, this team is undefeated top five. They already beat them, and now they're catching nine and a half on a neutral field. Um, I think that 15 years ago, this line would have been three. <laughs> we could have bet Oregon. But the market is much more efficient now. You also have all these, like, tout groups that used to wait until, like, Thursdays to release their plays. Everything is out now. I mean, look, the people – 
make their living how they're going to make their living and then it's, it's always a race and a competitive market so everyone is trying to get ahead of everyone else and now all these plays go out on like mondays and then the market is just gets ruined so much earlier i, I still contend that's our fault that it's the action network having an app that blasts out but anyways i, I digress yeah so it's uh, the market gets beat up so much earlier when it's harder to bet a lot of professional bettors out there are not too happy about that but markets evolve and you got to adjust so this uh, and the market just overall and with legalization has sped this up as well the market overall is just much more efficient so um in this game i mean look washington's defense is bad their second worst line yards 115th in tackles for loss 10th in explosive they, the one thing they do well is they don't allow explosive plays they're 10th in explosiveness allowed but that doesn't really matter against oregon oregon gets their explosive plays through like short passing game broken tackles they're not trying to chuck it downfield the Washington defense, though, it has improved a bit of late. Uh, Carson Bruner playing more has really helped. I don't know why he wasn't playing all year, but they've gotten a little bit healthier, um, changed their safety orientation. So their defense has actually played a little bit better of late, but their offense just hasn't been the same overall since the, since the Oregon game, really. I mean, Oregon is clearly better from a power ratings perspective. Just if you look at any surface statistics, if you look at their seven common opponents, Oregon won by an average of 20 points, Washington seven. Even when they played each other, you know, that game was in Seattle and Oregon probably should have won. They outgained them. They just couldn't convert a fourth down. I don't see any value in the line. I mean, it's just a really sharp number. I think Oregon gets their revenge here. I used Oregon as a money line piece to like bring down some NFL money lines. Someone someone sent me a ticket. I don't really bet the Heisman, but someone sent me a ticket. They parlayed Bo Nix, Heisman, and Bo Nick, and then Oregon to make the playoff. I didn't know you could do that. but And that paid like plus 150. And yeah, if Oregon wins this game, they're making the playoff, in my opinion. And if Oregon wins this game, I think Bo Nix is winning the Heisman. Penix and Daniels, the only other guys in the conversation, Daniels isn't playing. And if Penix loses the Knicks, he's not surpassing him. So... I think that's the the more prudent approach to if you like Oregon to win is bet Knicks to win the Heisman. The way that I say it, if Oregon wins, Knicks is winning the Heisman. I like Oregon to win, but very sharp number. I lean under here. I played under in the first matchup. Probably the wrong play, even though it had a chance to win. But this is a fast track, and there could be a lot of explosive plays. So I'm, you know, the numbers come down. I wish I had a, if I had a 68 or better, I would have played the under. If there's a quick score or something, I might like live for the under. But yeah, Oregon money line, some places I'm probably look to bet Nick's Heisman. Well, I think we should start off with why Washington is nine and a half or ten in the market. First off, is Michael Penix healthy? There are rumors floating around that he's hurt. That could be, you know, one of the many factors why this line has gone up so high. There's also no explain play. why the offense just hasn't been the same of late. Right, exactly. And and there's just been so many consecutive big games in a row here. Can you believe that their biggest margin of victory over like the last five weeks is USC by 10? Maybe Washington State by three, Oregon State by two, Utah by a TD, Stanford by nine, Arizona State by six. How many games? That's six games. I mean, USC by 10 is their best win over the last second half of the season. They're sputtering out. Don't know if it's tired. Don't know if it's conference scheduling. Uh, you know, Penix had three turnover worthy plays against Washington State. If you turn over to Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator for Washington, he says in the press conference, Washington State had all of our plays, all of our signals. I had to change everything at halftime. Not sure it made much of a difference. They still need a field goal to win that game. Also, yes, they have been lucky. 
They've been one of the luckiest teams when it comes to second-order win total, which is just a pathetic way of looking at points for and points against. The, the defense has problems. We've talked about this at nauseum. I mean, they're near dead last in stuff rate. Tackle grading is the reason Oregon's going to win this game. Washington's 130th in broken tackles allowed. You can't do that against Oregon. Oregon is second nationally in creating broken tackles with Bucky Irving, Franklin. So the data, the stats, everything backs up why this number is the way that it is. And I've said this over and over everywhere I can be. Bo Nix is playing a flawless season. Three turnover-worthy plays and 425 dropbacks this year. Uh, you know, he finally had his highest number of rushing attempts against Oregon State last week. He had two scrambles and three designed yards. He's been averaging about 15 yards per game, but you and I both know he can run a lot. If they give him the call and they put the design, you know, if Lanning decides it, it's time for him to run, we've saved him all year for this. That is an element that Oregon has not flashed that we know is there. Bo Nix season in full effect. I think Washington has a, a, an attempt to backdoor this, so I'm, I'm not going to mess with the nine and a half and ten. I will not be shocked if Washington finds a way to cover this game, but I think Oregon futures are ripe. They're at five to one now. If if, if we follow Brett's bull predictions, if we follow where they're going to fall in the seating, it looks like Michigan, Oregon. I've got Oregon favored by a point over Michigan, so I'm going to take five to one. I've already bought them at thirty to one. I bought them at twenty to one. I bought them at ten to one. If you don't have an Oregon national title future. There's five to ones out there, and I think they'll be favored by one point over Michigan. That's a good ticket to have for a national title at this point in the season. So we're going to play Bo Nix. I, I took the under two, by the way, Stock under 66 and a half. Uh, 65 is key in that range. So look at the under there. If they both run, then it's going to go under. But think about this too. Bo Nix rushing props are coming on the over at some point. Bo Nix anytime TD, sign me up. Bo Nix over rushing. Lanning knows he's got that in his back pocket. It's just a matter of when he's going to implement it. It's bow time. Boom. Like a powder keg in your mouth. Southern style. Yeah, I would agree there. I think it's worth a look. We'll keep our eyes there. By the way, I expect Lanning to stick to his guns, be aggressive on fourth downs, and don't be surprised if all the fourth downs break Oregon's way after that first meeting. Washington opponents on the year, 13 of 33 on fourth down for that defense that can't stop anyone up front. 13 of 33. One of the luckiest teams on fourth downs in the country. And by the way, Washington's got 10 of 13. So combined, 30 of 45 of their fourth downs have gone their way on offense and defense combined. All right, let's move on to Saturday chronologically. So let's start with the Big 12 championship between Texas and Oklahoma State. Stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas, the prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. Texas has taken money to cross over the two touchdown spread threshold. They're a 15-point favorite here. Over-under sitting at 55. The one thing that I'm worried about is this Gundy voodoo. I mean, this, this Oklahoma State team I don't think is very good. But Gundy seemingly gets his team to overperform in big spots and as an underdog and against ranked teams for whatever reason. But look, from a matchup standpoint, this is a nightmare for Oklahoma State. You cannot run on Texas, period. End of story. No one's been able to do it this year. Uh, they rank sixth in rush explosiveness allowed. That's that's the Oklahoma State offense. 11th in rush success rate, second EPA for rush. You name it. 
And then what does that mean? That means Oklahoma State can't get Ollie Gordon going. That's pretty much their their offense is Ollie Gordon explosive runs. And then when Ollie Gordon gets going, it sets up the play action and easy passes for Bowman. If Gordon can't get going, that then they they're not going to have the play action there, and then they're going to be in third and longs against the number one third down defense in the country. I, so the Oklahoma State, what's the path to success for the Oklahoma State offense? Pray, pray and Gundy voodoo. I don't know. Oklahoma State's pass defense is bad, trusted for schedule outside the top one hundred. So this Texas offense is rolling. They should pick apart this Oklahoma State secondary. Texas also needs margin. I think they want style points. So the Oklahoma State defense, by the way, dead last in passing play explosiveness allowed. That's not great against Texas. By the way, also Oklahoma State opponents, I mentioned fourth down luck. Four of 23 on fourth down. 17% opponents have gone against the Oklahoma State defense. Number one in the nation. Regression monster looms there. When Sark, you know Sark's probably going to go for it a couple times. The number is high, raw number a little high for me. I saw you put in a team total over on Texas, which I like, because Texas isn't going to stop scoring. I don't see how Oklahoma State stops them. I would like the game over, fast track here, but I'm afraid Oklahoma State's just going to get shut down because if they just take away Ollie Gordon, what's Oklahoma State's recourse? I don't know. So line's pretty sharp. I don't necessarily know if it's fully adjusted for the fact that Texas will just keep playing till the end. Total's a pass for me just because I'm worried about the Oklahoma State offense. I might join you on that Texas team total over. That might be the best bet in this game. Uh, What do you see here in the Big 12 title? Well, first off, I think everybody that listens should, either has or should have, a Texas ticket in their back pocket. Yes, I have that too. Not hedging, obviously. Yeah, congrats everybody on, I don't know, CLV, because we haven't won yet. We'll party after this. I'm not hedging, and I'm not even looking in the middle. I'm not hedging. I'm not middling. I, yeah. I am. You know what? I'll be in Vegas. It'll be 9 a.m. when this thing kicks. I'm going to have some uh, food delivered to the room, and I'm just going to enjoy my coffee. But no, uh, listen. Get some Tito's in- for Texas. It's Yeah. I mean, I, we're going to have some fun here. The The entire offensive identity revolves around Ollie Gordon for Oklahoma State. You know, you have to remember what Gundy said at Media Days is we're leaving behind the zone blocking schemes, and we're going to man blocking. It didn't click until middle of the season, and that's when Ollie Gordon really took off. The problem is, like you mentioned, Oklahoma State really falls off in passing downs. They're 119th in EPA when they get behind the chains. That's bad. Bowman neglected to throw a touchdown in three of his last four games. He's going in the opposite direction. The team is going in the opposite direction. The Texas front seven has dominated everybody that runs man-blocking schemes, counter schemes, any run concept that Oklahoma State has been using with Ollie Gordon, Texas absolutely dominates. So finishing drives continues to be a real problem for Texas. You saw that against Texas Tech. I don't think it's going to be a problem here. The Pokes allowed at least 30 points in recent weeks to BYU, Houston, and Central Florida. What are we talking about here? Huh? You don't need to go to the college World playoff if you can't score at least what BYU, Houston, and UCF are scoring. So yes, give me Texas on the team total over. Uh, Since this game is at 11 a.m. kickoff time local and the ACC championship game is until later, Sark needs all the style points he can get. Let's arrive at Texas team total over. Love it. Agree with you there. I I think we're going to disagree on this game. Max yourself. Who's the man? Uh, You're going against the Mac master, by the way, here. Uh, (laughs) Toledo, eight-point favorite here over under... 44. This game will be played noon Eastern ESPN. The only group of five 
uh, conference championship. That's not played on a campus site. This one's played in Detroit, I think, since like 2003. With a win, Toledo would get its fifth and second consecutive, but fifth overall MAC championship, which would match Marshall and Northern Illinois for the most ever. If Miami Ohio pulls off the upset, they would get their fourth, tying Toledo for second. These two teams, for what it's worth, played earlier this season. Toledo won 21-17 to at Miami of Ohio, but Brett Gabbert was the quarterback for Miami of Ohio in that game. I do have a Miami of Ohio 8-1 to future from the preseason Mac Manifesto. I will be hedging that a bit just because so much has changed with Miami of Ohio. It's really unfortunate. I have no deja vu. I have a, a team with a really good defense and uh, a quarterback I loved who got hurt and now has to play Toledo without their quarterback in the MAC championship, just like my Ohio future last year. And that was 20 to 25 to one too. Um, so I have a complete deja vu here, but I will be hedging some still deciding on that. Keep an eye on the action network app. Uh, just to give you a, a high level profile, of both teams, both these teams are really similar in that just how they're constructed. Toledo's offense, Daquan Finn runs RPO based scheme. All, all five offensive linemen have started every game. Everything runs through Penny Boone, who averaged, I think, 7.4 yards per carry, which was number one among all backs with at least 100 carries this year. Miami of Ohio, on the other hand, they're also run-heavy offense, RPO-based with Avion Smith, who took over for Gabbard, who got hurt midway through the season. Not a polished passer, more of a mobile guy. They're top 25 rush rate, but they're bottom 10 rush success rate. They can't really run it well, can't do much well. We'll just try to grind out the game, and they rely on their defense and special teams. Their offensive line also has some weak areas. They lost their also their star tight end earlier the season for the season, Jack Coldiron. They obviously lost Gabbert, who I think was the best quarterback in the conference. And then their number one receiver, Southeast Louisiana transfer, Gage Larbaday. But he's missed the last two games of the hamstring and questionable. So they could be without their top three offensive players coming into the season. So both offenses design pretty similarly. Neither gives up explosive plays either. Toledo a little bit more talented and the more talented quarterback. Although Finn still puts the ball in harm's way a little too often for my liking. Two of the best group of five defenses in the country. I actually have my Ohio number one, but they're all, they're both like close to top 40 nationally for me. They both never miss tackles. You can't add any explosives. And then if you do get down the field, they're both really good in finishing drives on defense. So they both bow up. So my Ohio, I don't see them having much success moving the ball. 130th, they're snail seconds per play. They want to grind the game down to a halt. And I don't see either team getting tons, a lot of touchdowns. So my favorite bet in this game is the under. Uh, I know it's come down a little bit. I still like it. I think this game plays out similarly to last year. Same, I just mentioned it. Toledo with a great D, Finn at quarterback, same offense, going up against a team that didn't have their quarterback with a limited offense and a more mobile quarterback. What did Toledo do in that game? They just said, we know we can win this with their defense. They ran it 47 times, I believe. Only threw it 25 for 150 yards. Said, we're not going to turn it over. Lie on our defense. They won 17-7. So I know this is on a fast track. Ford Field, I adjusted up the total like one and a half points. But I still really love the under. Either team is going to struggle to get to more than 21 points. Before I make a quick case for Miami, Ohio, what is your case for Toledo? Sky rockets in flight. This Miami of Ohio offense is not going to get as many first downs. They're not going to be as successful. They are not going to be as efficient as Toledo, as, as Daquan Finn and Penny Boone. Now, 
Toledo has the ability through Daquan Finn to have four to six turnovers and make themselves look like they belong in a pod with Northern Illinois. Can't wait for no divisions next year. But that's why uh, I think they're not even going to be that aggressive. They're going to say, we know we can shut my Ohio down, run the ball. That's one of the reasons I like the under. I think they're going to have a similar game plan to last year when they won 17-7. You know, Miami's been horrific at running the ball. They have the 30th highest rate of passing downs on offense outside of first and 10, second and seven, third and four. They are terrible when they get behind the chains. So to me, that is what screams that the Toledo offense has a much better chance of moving the ball and getting into scoring position than Miami of Ohio does. And Toledo's offense should take advantage of a Miami of Ohio defense that just can't stop the stop the, the run at the point of attack on the line. Miami of Ohio is 93rd in line yards, and they're 121st in stuff rate. Penny Boone ought to eat that up. You know, I, I saw a seven flash at one of my books, grabbed it there. I'd still play at seven, half, eight. If you want to parlay this, that's fine. But uh, I, I'm I'm in on Toledo here. Yeah, like I said, I agree with you. I think they should get a push up front. But one part of the handicap is Finn could turn it over here, and he's probably due for one or two. Uh, also, coaching advantage for Miami of Ohio. I also like the under, which a lot, which makes this number more valuable with the underdog. And by the way, comp- MAC conference underdogs, 12-5-1 and one against the spread, 71% since 2005. You've got wow. to be kidding me. Now, this is peak Maction. It is. Peak Maction. Well, so why does Miami of Ohio in, the, in this game? How are they 9-3 and three against the spread? Miami of Ohio will win every intangible, every possible non-offensive or defensive factor in this game. Let's go through them. Number one, coaching. Just mentioned that. They'll have an advantage there. Special teams. Miami of Ohio has my number one rated special teams in the country. They're number two in net punting. They have the best punt returner, top 10 nation. They have a kicker who's automatic, hasn't missed a field goal all year, seven for seven over 40 yards. By the way, Toledo, outside the top 100 net punting, outside the top 100 punt return yardage, less reliable kicker. They know they're not going to go for them for that. They're going to play the super conservative. Run the clock, punt it, rely on their defense. Make field goals. That's their path here. Try to win this game 17-13. They're also never penalized. Top 10 in the nation of penalties. Guess where Toledo is? Outside the top 100. So penalties, coaching, special teams, all of the intangibles, despite a completely limited offense, they've been able to cover games. And that's why they always are undervalued in the market. I do think Toledo wins, but I think they can ugly this game up. And with all those other peripherals, I think they keep this close. I'm going to call it 17-13 final. Toledo wins. That's my take. Good stuff on the Mac. Always good to get two sides um, when we disagree, because ultimately that's what we want this podcast to be. If you're leaning one way, present both cases and help you make your decision one way or the other. Viva, viva Las Vegas! Okay, let's go to the Mountain West. Boise State, two and a half point favorite here in Vegas against UNLV. Total 59. I'm having a really – this is the hardest game for me of – so I'll look to you for some guidance. Boise State obviously has rallied around their interim coach. And for what it's worth, we've only seen one other team in a conference championship that I found over the past 30 years with an interim coach that was in the conference championship. I mean, usually you fire a coach, you're not going to get to the conference championship. But Boise State did. Happened with Clay Helton um, in 2015. Is that Sark, maybe? The big guy that he took over for? I forget. Um, But USC got to the conference championship with uh, Helton, and then they lost to Stanford. So 
pretty rare that this happens. Boise State will have fans here too. I know my guy BJ Reigns organized a huge bus. There'll be a bunch of buses and people traveling down. This this crowd probably 50 50. So maybe not maybe not a true home field advantage. And Boise State's definitely trending up. They're now healthier too. There's like no injuries to note. They did lose their top receiver. They didn't let back on the team. They it was a team vote. They're they can't really throw the ball. And Maddox Madsen, who was playing quarterback, splitting time with Taylor Green. He's out, but Green will be the starting quarterback. Most importantly, Ashton Genty, fully healthy. I think he's one of the best running backs in the country. And George Helani, his running mate, is now back fully healthy. Dangerous rushing attack. Um, so, and you could tell all the quotes, all the people that I know associated with the Boise program, they said this team cares and they've rallied around uh, the firing of Avalos. I don't think that he was really well liked. But what gives me pause here with Boise is I've confirmed all that and I can see it. But they beat New Mexico with a backup quarterback, Utah State with a pair of backup quarterbacks, and Air Force with its third string quarterback. So how much weight can I put into it? When you look at this matchup, both secondaries are vulnerable. But I do trust the UNLV passing offense more with Ricky White. And you want to attack the UNLV secondary, but that's not really Boise State. Uh their passing offense isn't great. I also think both defenses are going to give up a ton of explosives, which leads me to the over on a fast track. But I'm just having a I'm having a really tough time deciding how much I should buy into Boise because I know that it's true. I know they rallied, but they played three dumpsters with backup quarterbacks. So what do you see here between Boise and UNLV? I like Boise and I like the over here. I'll start with Boise's offense. I mean, you know, fired Andy Avalos. Uh, they've got an interim coach that's interviewing to be the head coach. So at least there's a minimal amount of noise compared to the UNLV side, which I'll get to in a little bit. But the question is, is can Boise respond with Taylor Green back under center and win a conference championship? Green went for 228 yards passing. He logged two turnover-worthy plays against Air Force in week 13. So it looks like... It's the same old Taylor Green trying to run Bush Hamden's offense, which hasn't worked since Hamden was promoted to <laughs> hired as offensive coordinator. But Boise is top 10 in rushing success rate through Ashton Genty and George Halani. Those two being healthy are the biggest difference in this game. And you can look at UNLV's, you know, rushing success on defense. You can look at their line yards. It's, you know, just inside the midpoint of FBS defenses. But really what this comes down to is the fact that Genty has 41 targets on this season. They're all wheel routes and bubble screens, screens left, screens right, lined up out and flats. It doesn't matter. They find ways to get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage through the air, and it just completely tears defenses up. That is how you attack the UNLV secondary. They are horrific in tackling. They are horrific in playing coverage. And that is where exactly, I mean, Ashton Genty is the best player in this game. George Halani isn't too far behind. So I don't see any stop in Boise, who's top 25 in creating a big play. They're 40th and about finishing drives and quality drives. So I see all those things working out here for them, especially on the ground with line yards. They're going to be able to dominate the line of scrimmage. Now, when you go to the other side, I like the over because UNLV can do a lot of the same stuff. Now, Brennan Marion is being interviewed for other jobs. Uh, you know, he interviewed for the San Diego State job. Barry Odom is interviewing for other jobs. Some power five teams are looking for him. So there's a lot more noise going on with the coaching staff, believe it or not. I know there's an interim on Boise's side, but there is more noise going on with UNLV. Now the go-go offense that Marion runs is beautiful. 
Teams are forced to load the box against 12, 21, 22 personnel where formations are always trying to get at least three players in the backfield with the quarterback. Now, they did switch to quarterback Jaden Maeva. Uh, he took over his starter in week four against UTEP, and he has a pretty even distribution of scramble yards versus designed yards when he has rushing attempts. But his passing isn't as good as the TD to INT ratio would suggest. He actually has more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws. And the biggest issue for Boise, why I love the over in this game, Throughout the entire season, their tackling has been terrible. Of course, you fired Andy Avalos, former defensive coordinator for Oregon and at Boise, finally the head coach, 130th in tackling per PFF. If you go and look at how many broken tackles allowed, they're 116th. I expect explosives from UNLV uh, against the defense. It's top 80 and EPA allowed. Boise allows White should have a huge day. No one knows. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem is, is I think the UNLV defense is worse. And I think Ashton Genty is the better, is the best player in this game by far. Uh, both quarterbacks, I, I kind of make it a wash. Both of them create, create too many mistakes more than they do big time throws. So if you wash it all, you know, uh, put all that in together with these two offenses, Ashton Genty is the best player, and they've got to wait again to the UFV secondary, and that's what's going to get them to win. I think it goes back and forth. It's a great live betting game, but over is definitely the play, and Boise is the team I'm on. All right, let's move on to the SEC championship between Georgia and Alabama. Here, it just means more. High stakes here. Georgia wins. They're in, they lose, could be out. Alabama wins. Probably. They're in, say it. They're in, come on. Uh, they're in. <laughs> Don't know how, but they're in. <laughs> Five and a half point underdogs. Uh, total sitting around. 55. Uh, there's some injuries. McClellan, the running back for Alabama, probably will miss. He was seen on crutches. Georgia, Bowers banged up. McConkey banged up with ankles. And then two key injuries on the defensive end for Georgia, Humphrey at corner and uh, Dumas Johnson uh, at inside linebacker. I'll make – I think this line's about right. So I, I made it like Georgia minus five. So I, I have nothing from a side perspective. I could see the case for both. I'll make a quick case. I'm on an island here on the under. Try to get 55 or better. But here's how I see it playing out. Now, the scary thing is it's a fast track, and you get all these SEC. We talk about this every year. All these SEC athletes over – go back and look at the scores. The over's gone 13-4-1 and one, uh, since 2005, the best over of any conference by far. Um, But I, I and have adjusted it up for the fast track, but I still like the under. Here's why. First off, I, the Alabama offense is so predicated on getting explosive plays with Milrow. They don't really, it's not going to have a ton of success throwing the intermediate range, which is where you need to attack the quarters coverage of Georgia. They asked, Milrow's an insane deep ball thrower. Guess what? Georgia's pass defense doesn't give up any explosives. Um, For, to put numbers behind it, Alabama's seventh best offense in passing down explosiveness. Georgia's defense is number nine. So the how I think Georgia Georgia can be run on a little bit, and the key the key to this game is Milrow's legs. By the way, um, I think they got to unleash him. Rushing props on Milrow, I think, are in play here because the problem there you think, is sacks count against it. But Georgia doesn't get a ton of sacks. So and and Milrow and the offensive line have been better of late. So I I think there's going to be some value on Milrow rushing. This you got to unleash him here. And that's the path to success. And mobile quarterbacks have had some success against Georgia. But I think Alabama's going to come out and they're going to try to run the ball every which way. 
whether it's Williams, because I don't think McClellan's going to play, a lot of Milrow. And I don't think they're going to have much success throwing the ball uh, because they just they don't really throw an intermediary, and Georgia doesn't give up any explosives. And Alabama, by the way, plays slow. And when the stakes have been higher, they played even slower. Even last week, they were trailing and playing slow. So I think it's going to be a super slow-paced game. Both teams feeling each other out early. Uh, and then the other side, Georgia's a snail. And I know the Georgia offense has been rolling. But, you know, some injuries. But most importantly, this is the, by far the best defense they will face all year. Can we talk about the Georgia schedule of opposing defenses that they've played? Let's go through it. Ball State, who, when they sucked. South Carolina, and it's still Ball State. South Carolina, awful. UAB, worst in the country. Auburn, awful. Kentucky, awful. Vandy, awful. Florida, awful. Missouri, there's a good defense that they faced. And, you know, they got the 30 points at home. And uh, was a, a cl- after it was a close game throughout. Ole Miss, bad. Tennessee, not great. Georgia Tech, horrendous. This is a huge step up in class. So, and the same thing can be said for Alabama, by the way. Um, you know, they, if you look at their schedule, what defense is that? I mean, the last five, everyone's like, oh, the Milrow's back. He's th- the last five, you know, the last three weeks when they averaged like 50 points, the last four weeks they played LSU, arguably the worst defense in the country, Kentucky, horrendous pass D, Chattanooga, and Auburn. And they barely got the 26. So, like they just haven't played many great defenses. I mean, yeah, I think Texas is a great defense. Um, and we all and Alabama only put up 24 and lost by double digits at home. So I think the defenses are in a slow paced game, are gonna rule things in this game. I think that both offenses are gonna play slower, rely more on the run game. It's gonna be a slow start, slow pace. And uh I think this will end like 27-23, 27-24, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, so I like the under. We'll look at some Milrow over rushing props. I just think it's a good matchup for both defenses, and it's a big step up in class for each. A lot of familiarity here, a lot on the line. So I think you get a slow start, too. What do you see here? I can completely understand why you think the under is the player because I must have researched this thing for hours. I could not find an offensive advantage for either, right? Georgia is the leader in offensive momentum killer. I'm, I'm sorry, they're third in offensive momentum killer in the nation, just ahead of Michigan and Oregon. You know, it looks at interception, fumbles, missed field goals, sacks, fourth downs. What does your offense do to make mistakes and stop themselves? Georgia doesn't do much of that. That also kind of coincides with Carson Beck, you know, really kind of growing into the role, getting Vlad McConkie healthy, getting Brock Bowers back in the offense. They became unstoppable. If those two aren't playing, then you're losing two of the biggest pieces that he's had to use to get Georgia up to this point against the strength of schedule that is 59th. Georgia dominates rushing attempts with inside and outside zone, but Alabama dominates those on defense. Like there's just, there's no run concept. I'm not going to go like side to side here. There's no run concept that either of these teams run that the other defense cannot stop. The only concept that's given the Crimson Tide trouble is power. Georgia's only ran power 30 times this year. So I just do not see an advantage on the ground whatsoever. You know, you go to the other side of the ball. Is the Georgia defense going to be able to stop a mobile quarterback like Jalen Milrow? Because they've had problems with quarterbacks that we didn't consider to be dual threat. Yeah. You know, beautiful deep ball by Milrow. We've talked about it a million times. 23 big-time throws. 
zero turnover worthy plays on throws that go over 20 yards, a 15 to one TD to INT ratio. It's beautiful. The problem is Georgia's only allowed three passes over 40 yards this entire season. Yeah, you can't I mean, any explosives on them. In yeah, you, you, no one's, no one's getting there. So I think if you go back and look historically at this game, four previous times, Kirby and Nick Saban have met in the, either the sec title game or the national title game in the first quarter of all four of those games, there's been a combined 13 points. Wow. Like when Stucky and I sit there and say, like, we think they're going to fill each other out. We think there's a script. It's not that we think. We know. And this is a perfect example of it. 13 points in four first quarters wow. of SEC title and national title. I bet first quarter under 10 and a half. I did take a full game over because I didn't know Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers were questionable. <laughs> this is going to be a dry SEC championship for the first quarter. And then somewhere in the second quarter, the adjustments are going to come because these are the two best coaching staffs in the nation of making adjustments on the fly. And once they do, the points will come. So whether you want to go first quarter under, full game over, or first quarter under and play a live over, you can do that too. But I definitely think this is going to be just scrappy and ugly for the first period. Also something else to keep in mind, two really good punting teams, which would, if the defenses are having success, would also help the under. Pace should be slow too which helps. I might play some Milrow over rushing props. I think that they just unleash in there, especially without without McClellan. You don't have as much depth at running back. I and we know how much Milrow likes to run past the line of scrimmage and then throw a pass. Yeah, and, and yeah, true. <laughs> and and Georgia doesn't get a ton of sacks, so that helps with the rushing yard props. So who do you think wins? I think it depends on Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers. Who do you think wins? No, no depends. Alabama. Wow. I'll say Georgia wins by a field goal. All right. All right, let's move on to the AAC championship between SMU and Tulane. This number has been moving all around, so let me check the updated number. Tulane, three-and-a-half-point favorite here over under. The total's down to 47. It's going to be played 4 p.m. Eastern on ABC. This uh, So the big news here is Preston Stone, SMU's star quarterback's out for the year, broke his leg last week. Another another future that I have where a quarterback gets hurt. When am I going to get get it the other way around? I have an SMU future. I'm not hedging it. I would have made SMU. SMU would have been my biggest bet this weekend against Tulane. Uh, I make them a three and a half point favorite when both teams are fully healthy. At Tulane, I made them a three and a half point favorite. I think they're clearly the better team. They have to adjust. And there's so much uncertainty now. So I can't make this a huge play. And I have a future also on SMU. I downgraded... SMU because Kevin Jennings more mobile, more mobile than Stone, but obviously much less experience. Wasn't a high recruit, does have some experience uh getting in into games. I downgraded SMU four and a half points. So I'm at like Tulane, you know, minus one ish here, even without Stone. So I still would I'm probably still gonna play SMU in some form or fashion, and I'm not hedging my future. This SMU defense is real. Fourth in success rate, ninth in rush success rate. They've done a masterful job in the portal. Other side of the ball, really good running backs, really good offensive line. And they've had some offensive line injuries. They've lost both tackles recently. That hasn't even mattered. We'll see if their left tackle's back this week. But they can run the ball. They have uber-talented backs. The big question is just the problem is you have to attack Tulane through the air. You can't really run on Tulane. Their corners are really good, but you can beat their safeties and their – they lost two really good safeties from last year, and their linebackers in coverage. Ken Jennings consistently beat Tulane secondary. 
I don't know. So I can't recommend in good faith that on SMU. I'm also worried about the SMU special teams. Ton, they've allowed the most block kicks, the most block field goals in the country. Their punters bad, bad. And Tulane is the second best kick return in the country. The special teams, when you have your backup quarterback on the road, could be a problem. For what it's worth, coming into the season, Green Wave, ATM at home under Willie Fritz. Since 2017, 27-8 against the spread, 77% at home coming into the year. However, just 2-5 and five against the spread this year in Newman Stadium. have had trouble building margin. Another factor here, Willie Fritz, distracted, probably going to get another job. Is there some distractions there? I don't know. I was super, super high on this SMU team, but that's what's done a quarterback. So much uncertainty now. I do believe in the D. I do believe in their backs, but this is a hard game to handicap. Uh, I'm just, I'm letting my future ride though. That might be the only thing I have here. What what do you see here in this game? Yeah, I think if you're going to bet, probably want to bet an under, maybe a first half under. I mean, with Kevin Jennings, lifetime 34 46, two years at SMU, four TDs, no INTs. But more importantly, he's only attempted two passes over 20 yards, didn't connect on either of them. Yeah, you know, a lot of that was just pure garbage time. Like, it's, yeah, hard, it's to, hard to really say anything. The other thing, the other variable to throw in this is that Tulane defensively is 132nd in the nation on target rate. They allow everybody to hit their man in stride. So if Kevin Jennings is going to have a game, you would think it would be here, but it's the complete unknown in this. You know, first half under, full game under. And you're right. This is it for Willie Fritz at Tulane. The the decision on the athletic director is a big part of that. He's going to be moving on. Could be the last game for Michael Pratt as well. I mean, the portal has opened up this weekend, and uh, who knows? I mean, there's money to be had for quarterbacks, and Pratt certainly would deserve a little bit of a look on that. You're right on the SMU defense. I don't think any of the the Tulane rushing stats are going to matter here. I mean, 60% of uh, of their plays are all rush. Makai Hughes, 3.7 yards after contact, and he's created 62 missed tackles this season. That's a lot. But those numbers are just not going to work on SMU. They are excellent. SMU's defense is 11th in broken tackles allowed. They don't allow people to get away from them whatsoever. So first half under, under, ugly game. Yeah, it's really a shame. I was really looking forward to this game. Just the range. I don't I don't know enough about Jennings. And like he wasn't a high recruit after the game. I'll probably have a better idea. The problem is you can't bet after the game. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move on to the Sun Belt Championship between App State and Troy. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. Troy will host this game 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Uh, App State's one. It, it could rain here. Keep an eye on the forecast. It could be a lot of rain. First thing I'll note, this game, it's a home game for Troy. Home field in the Sun Belt, worthless. Always overvalued. Home teams in league play since 2005 in the Sun Belt, 43% against the spread. Worst return on investment by any league, even the MAC. The home field is like, I think over the past 15 years, if you price it out, it's like 1.1 points. There's almost no home field advantage. So I always like to look at road teams in the Sun Belt. I love App State here. The App State defense, good cornerbacks. They have uh, they got EJ Jackson back in the slot in Week Nine. He's been great, and they got which meant Thomas and Clark got out of there, who were awful. You can run all over App State. You know their pass is really good due to Johnson and Funderburk at corner, um, with some decent favors at safeties, good in coverage. But they're all their D backs are undersized. Their defensive line is undersized, so they're not great against the run. Um, you know, they have a couple guys who can get pressure off the edge and Johnson and Fletcher, but their run D's bad. 
Although it's improved a little bit of late. It was po- poverty level. And Montez Kelly playing more nose tackles helped a bit. This defense has just, in general, improved overall. Allowed 18.2 points per game the past four against all bowl teams. They allowed 28.8 in their first seven games against FBS teams. That's an improvement of over you know 10 points per game against FBS competition. They're still fourth, fourth worst in line yards. But here's the thing. This is a great matchup for App State. Troy can't really run it. Vidal's a good runner, and but the, the offensive line can't run block, and you have a quarterback who never runs it, probably the worst running quarterback in the country. So this is a really good matchup. Troy EPA per run on offense, 120th. App State date, 127th. Troy EPA per pass, 54th. App State date, 46th. Ideal matchup for App State, who's rolling. They've also had four losses by a touchdown or less, three, 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 six, and seven. They're not afraid of this stage. Like, this is a team that should have won at Wyoming. They should have won at North Carolina. They went on the road and beat JMU, undefeated JMU. In Sunbelt play, App State, their last four times that they've been an underdog on the road, they won all four outright. They were double-digit underdogs in each. The App State offense, Noel probably, I don't think, is playing. Aguilar's been very good. He's kind of a gunslinger. It's a deep wide receiver room. Uh, They lost two stud tackles in Hodges and Hardy. Having, having a little bit of trouble replacing them. It's a little bit worried about that against the Troy defense. The Troy defense is really good, solid secondary. They can get pressure. But I just think this is closer to these two teams are pretty close to even based on the surge that we've seen from App State. And the Troy defense, I think, is a little worse than some people think. From After last year, they lost a couple important pieces. Still really good. Still one of the best group of five defenses. But they've also played four backup quarterbacks. Uh, and I think this is just a good matchup on paper because Troy's not great at running the ball. I You don't want to bet App State against an elite rushing uh, offense. That's not the case here. I love App State. Uh, plus six right now. Uh, I think they win this game. agreeance. I mean, I have been tapped into this App State team all year. I showed up on BBOC Live on Saturdays, once with a ULM bet and once with a Southern Miss bet, both cashing because they were going up against App State. Really hit a lull in the middle of the schedule, just could not defend the rush whatsoever. You're right, it has gotten a little bit better now, but now they're hot. Five straight wins, four straight covers against bowl teams, including James Madison. And when they went up against James Madison, they dominated in scoring opportunities. Quarterback Joey Aguilar had nine passes over 15 yards. This was not the same team that was around six weeks ago. So since week seven against Coastal, Aguilar is 21 to four TD to INT. But he did have massive mistakes against Old Dominion and Southern Miss, like I said. So, you know, there he's a bit of a gunslinger. He is. And I went deep into like, what is it? Does it did Old Dominion and did they show something that really got him or Southern Miss? They both run quarters, cover three, cover one. And really what I found out is it was man. (laughs) Southern Miss runs 42% of man coverage. Old Dominion ran a whole bunch of man. They're about 30% on the year, but they ran man coverage against Aguilar. Turnover to Troy. They never play man coverage. No man. Yeah. 
he's a gunslinger and man coverage has burned him, but he's not going to see that here. So that's one reason why I like them. Now, I have full confidence that App State is going to score the points that they need on offense to make this a game. When you flip to the other side of the ball, it's, I mean, you try to make a case for Troy. It's hard. Uh, but the one that I keyed in on is App State's 22nd in creating havoc. That all comes from tackles for loss and pass breakups. They're top 30 in both. Give me App State here. I'll take the points all day. Love it. Yep. Full of grants. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the two primetime games. <laughs> Next year, we will have better primetime games, I promise, because it won't be the Big Ten West in it, and we won't have backup quarterback in Florida State. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Louisville-Florida State. <laughs> Louisville-Florida State. Okay, so Florida State, two-and-a-half-point favorite here. This will be 8 p.m. Eastern and ABC in Charlotte. Could be rain in the forecast, a lot of rain, so keep an eye on that. Uh, over-unders come down on this game a bit as you'd expect so and again this is the game it's tough to handicap because there's a backup quarterback with florida state and now look the florida state run rushing attacks not as good as last year outside the top 80 in success rate they are they hit explosives top 10 in explosives but there's not been a lot of offensive line continuity they're constantly changing guys last year they last week you know let's go with the more the better run blocker guard move that you know tackles have been hurt rotating guards and they lose a ton of epa in the run game without travis uh, just a ton. And Bill, Louisville's top ten, top 20 rush success rate allowed. Maybe you get a couple explosives, but now you don't have Travis. What can Rodemaker do? Well, I'll tell you, I told you last week I had an eight-point drop-off. After what I saw last weekend, it's now 10. Uh, I think <laughs> Rodemaker stinks. And by the way, people are like, ah, he came back and he beat Florida on the road. Guess what? Florida also had a backup quarterback. Like, can, we, can we stop with that narrative? Florida had a ton of injuries. And by the way, Florida's defense – blows arkansas won on that field <laughs> uh, yeah i mean they are horrendous the team that's been routinely been giving up 450 yards 40 points every week florida state broke a run late you know how many yards they finished with in that game against that bad florida defense that also had injuries the total yards in that game florida 232 florida state 224 rodemaker finished 12 of 25 for 130 yards against the defense that ranks dead last in explosiveness allowed. Not good. And now there's going to be weather. You're going up against a, a good pass rush. Louisville does have a really talented secondary. They, they're they aggressive. They can give up some explosives. I didn't see anything. I know Rodemaker did it last year against Louisville. He just threw it up to Johnny Wilson. I'm not sure he's fully healthy right now, but Bill has good corners. Brownlee should be back, the ex-FSU player. He should be back in, in full. They can match up. They can get pressure. Bill's 13th worst in explosiveness allowed, 12th on passing plays. That's how you beat him. Florida State is third in explosiveness, but there's no Jordan Travis now. It's Tate Rodemaker. There's going to be weather. Louisville can load the box here. And by the way, this Florida State team, which I talked about how inconsistent they've been all year. And by the way, Florida State penalty issues, they've had a ton of good fumble luck as well. My prediction for this game, by the way, I like Louisville. I wanted th- I went three, got beat up early. I went three. I'll probably be on Louisville regardless in some form or fashion. I think Louisville wins this game. We'll learn if there's football gods, because if there's football gods, Louisville will win this game. Um, and we don't need to have Florida State, who I make 17 and a half point underdog against Georgia. But take a look at the Florida State schedule. I want you to answer me one question. Keep in mind, Riley Leonard got hurt for Duke, and Van Dyke didn't, was hurt for Miami. 
Who's the most complete team, offense and defense, that Florida State played this year? Offense and defense, he says. Yeah. Kicks LSU completely. So LSU's defense, one of the worst in the country. Don't make me Clemson's sad. offense, horrendous. The other games, Southern Miss, BC, Va Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech's got some balance these days. Yeah, but they didn't have it then. <laughs> Duke, Duke with Leonard Hurt. Pitt, Miami without Van Dyke. North Alabama. And then Florida with a bad D and a backup quarterback. This is the most complete team they will face all year yeah. with a competent offense, competent defense. I think it's a 10 point drop off. I make Louisville a favorite uh, in this game. And I'm not even a huge Louisville guy, but uh, I'll call it 21 17 ish. It's going to be late. Yeah. Rodemaker stripped, strip sacked, recovered, game over. Louisville wins. So lean under here. Football gods do exist. What do you see here? Yeah, I, I agree with your score prediction because I think the under is the play here. If you split out what Tate Rodemaker did, I mean, he didn't have a TD or an INT. Uh, he went 12 of 25 passing, but Johnny Wilson received nearly half of all the targets in that game. Keon Coleman had six targets, but only caught one of them. None of them were drops. I don't know what's going on between Rodemaker and Keon Coleman. They cannot get connected whatsoever. Now, Florida State's outside the top 100 in rushing success rate, line yard stuff rate. So I, really, that's it for the offense. The Seminoles have to hit Johnny Wilson or there's nothing left for Tate Rodemaker. One thing that's in the back of my mind is that Florida State has been a great second half team. They're 7-2-1 and one against the spread in the second half this year. Played that against Florida. They never looked back. I think Rodemaker finally got some identity as to what he wants to do with the offense. And they came through, but that was Florida's defense. That's not Louisville's defense. But I look at what Kentucky did to beat Louisville. They got scores on the board by having Devin Leary hit Ray Davis out of the backfield for two touchdowns. Trey Benson and Lawrence Toa Philly, they have 23 targets or less and a receiving TD apiece on the season. Each were targeted just once by Rodemaker in that game against Florida. So what Kentucky did to beat Louisville, Florida State doesn't do. And I'm not sure Trey Benson and Lawrence Toa Philly are, are capable of doing it. So I like the under in this game. Pulling for Florida State to get knocked out of the playoff like everybody else. I got a Texas ticket I need to get in there. There's probably going to be a live bet or a second half play on Florida State only for hedging purposes on the Texas future that I have to go to the college football playoff. That's it. It has nothing to do with me loving Florida State. So keep keep your eyes open on that. But under is the play. Do you think Louisville wins? No, I think Florida State's going to win. Wow. Barely. No football gods. All right. Let's go to the last game on the docket. Ugh. Iowa, great. Michigan. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Yeah, do you want to set it up? It's a quick one for me. Uh, Michigan, what, around a 23-point favorite here. Although I think someone was setting up to take Iowa money. Uh, to bet Iowa, dumbing it up and then hit it. Michigan, I think, yeah, down to a 22-point favorite, over under 34 and a half. The lowest by far in a conference championship. The previous low was 38. For what it's worth, low totals have gone over historically in bowl games at a very high rate. But the Hawkeyes, 40-19-1 to the under since 2019, 68%. Nine of their 12 games this year have failed to reach 35 combined points, including each of the past seven, which have averaged fewer than 24 points per game. As I mentioned last week, Iowa became the first team since 2000 to win more than four games while averaging fewer than 250 yards per game. It won 10 while averaging 25 yards less than the next worst offense in the prolific Kent State Golden Flashes offense. Uh, 
Yeah, I was one of the best under teams in the country, as you might imagine, 10 and 2 to the under, going under by an average of four and a half points per game. Tulane also was 10 and 2 to the under. They had actually a better margin, but their total's a little higher. The best under team in the country, UCLA, 10 and 2, going under by 11 points per game. Um, So, look, Iowa's defense, you know, it's pretty good, but they got dominated by Penn State and they ran through the Big Ten West. Their special teams are good. Here's my handicap with this game, though. I mean, I, I make it right around the numbers, so I, I, it's hard for me. I might bet just for fun, for shits in prime time. I might bet Iowa under a half point in the first half. I just think that'll be fun. Um, but uh, both both offenses are bottom twenty five in explosiveness. The path to Iowa covering is like punt return TD. Yeah, that or just Michigan like multiple ten minute drives, and then they just sit on it. But here's the thing. Iowa wins these games and has gotten here. You got to give Ference credit for this by all the stuff that I mentioned with Miami, Ohio. No, pen- they never get penalties. They're top five. They're number four in penalties. Guess who's number one? Michigan. They do it with special teams. Michigan actually grades out better special teams this year. Iowa's six kicks blocked this year. Not good. Great kick returner, but Michigan best kick return defense. No DeGene on defense and in the punt return game. Both have top 10 punters. So there's no special teams advantage for Iowa either. I, I was second worst in the country in line yards. They have a an offensive guard playing quarterback who trips over his center every other play. They're dead last in standard down success rate, dead last in yards per game. I, I Both defenses are top three in points per opportunity. I, I mean, I, how does Iowa score? I, I don't know. They got. I want to bet under a first half, under a half, because I'm basically just rooting for Michigan not to lose a fumble in their own territory. I think that'd be funny. I don't see much in this game. What do you say? I hear this noise about how Michigan can't bounce off of Ohio State and put it on them. And Michigan showed up against Maryland in a hangover overlook sandwich spot in between Penn State and Ohio State, and they 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 screwed up there. I don't think that's going to happen here. Look, Michigan was in this exact same spot two years ago in Lucas Oil Stadium off of beating Ohio State. First time they'd beat them in I don't know how long. They won this game against Iowa 42-3. to all right. They showed up last year after beating Ohio State. They beat Purdue 43 to 22. They've put up more than 40 points, two consecutive Big Ten championships in a row. And all of a sudden, I'm supposed to believe that this Iowa defense, who's been playing the Big Ten West, is going to keep them from scoring. Um, I mean, we can handicap if Iowa's going to score. I mean, they're bottom 10 and, geez, almost everything quality drives, finishing drives, success rate, explosives. It doesn't matter. I test. Uh, it's. So bad. So I think the question really is, what if Michigan decides to line up and play a little Penn State ball where they just ran Blake Corum off tackle and said, try to stop us? Is that enough for Michigan to cover and to get their amount of points? I mean, we don't know McCarthy's health. We don't know if they're going to let him pass. Iowa is the best in the Big Ten versus outside zone and man run concepts. That's not what Michigan runs. Michigan's highest run concept is inside zone. It usually comes out of the 11 formation. When you go into Iowa, I tweeted it out earlier today. Iowa has an extremely low 42% success rate against inside zone coming out of 11 formation, 11 personnel, sorry. Michigan's going to run Blake Corum and they're going to get chunk yards all over the place. I would, I'm going to take Michigan team total over 28. This total dipped down to 34 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down more. I wouldn't be surprised if it steams down more. But if it does, that should bring the Michigan team total down to maybe 27 half or 27. So I'm waiting. But Michigan team total over is a play for me because I think if they lo- simply line up 
and do what they did against Penn State in the second half with Blake Corum, Iowa is not shown against inside zone that they can stop that. So Michigan team total over, I'm going to wait. I don't mind that. Uh, pray for me and my under first half bet. Good stuff. Going through all 10 games. But we're not done yet. Before we get out of here, we got to go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right. Uh, let's first down, we're going to do a little different because obviously we went through all the games already. First down to our favorite side. Make this quick because we already went through all the games. I'm going to say App State. Uh, I think this team's rolling, undervalued in the market. Good matchup. Troy, not an elite rushing offense. That's how you beat this App State team. Defense trending up. App State not afraid to go on the road and get it done. Give me the nears. What do you got? I'm going to go Boise State. Not really home field advantage for UNLV and Allegiant. Boise usually brings a pretty big crowd there. But more importantly, they have the best player in the game on both sides of the ball, which is Ashton Genty. Look for Taylor Green to hit him and George Halani in the backfield and then just cause a whole bunch of chaos on that UNLV secondary. I know UNLV can score points, and they will, but Boise has the better players. They're going to survive and win this game by at least three. Second down, let's go with our favorite total. Uh, I'm going to go with the match and under in Detroit between my Baja and Toledo. I know it's a lower number and a fast track, but both these defenses are excellent. Top 40-ish nationally. I think two of the best at the group of five level. Give me under 44. What's your favorite total? I'm going to go first quarter SEC championship game, Bama, Georgia, under 10 and a half. Last four times these teams have played either in the national title game or in the SEC championship game. The first quarter has accumulated a grand total of 13 points in those four instances. I think this starts out extremely slow. Maybe Ladd McConkey and Brock Bowers aren't going to play. Who knows? But I'm taking the first quarter under 10 and a half. And then finally, I made an executive decision for Moneyline Underdog. We usually just have... We are done at the regular season, but we hit our last two. And I was getting tweets about it, if we're going to do one this weekend. So we've hit two in a row. So we're going to do a third. Uh, I actually was going to use yours, but you you got in there first into the dock. So I'm going to go with Louisville. I believe in football gods. Tate Rodemaker stinks. He can't take advantage of Louisville's biggest issue on defense, which is giving up explosive plays. You know it's even worse than giving up explosive plays in Louisville? Florida. Florida State, 100, 220 total yards last week. Louisville wins. Give me the Cardinals. L's up for once. Give me App State. Give me the Mountaineers on the road in the Sun Belt, which, as Stucky explained earlier, doesn't mean that much. Look for uh, their quarterback, Joey Aguilar, to have a big game. He had nine passes over 15 yards against JMU. Like Stucky said before, they're not going to be scared of this moment. They've played on much bigger st- stages, especially this year. So give me Appalachian State. Love it. All right, that'll do it for us. But I do want to I met, promise a couple giveaways. Leave a five-star review. You say whatever really helps us out, and we'll do giveaways. K, K. Mendel, Diego Pavia for Gambling Heisman. Here's a promise. Diego wins on Friday night. He wins the Gambling Heisman. He wins outright. Good luck to the Ponzi scheme. Uh, feed the kids. These guys work their tails off. By the way, uh, reach out to podcast at actionnetwork.com or reach out to me or oh boy, Uncle Mitch, our producer. We'll send you guys some gear. And uh, Mason, 822-32019, you too. Can't wait for Friday's breakdown of the Conference USA champ game. We riding with Diego and the Ponzi scheme. Spang, I've been listening to every college football episode for three years now. Excellent content and programming. Absolute must if you dabble. I only wish these guys were around when I was running parlay cards in middle school, but they likely weren't even born. I bet we were. Good stuff there. We appreciate all the reviews. They really help us out. Loved seeing all the Spotify uh, percentage list that people were sending us to. So if you 
have those Spotify wrap stuff when we were in your top three. Send us those. Love seeing them. But thanks for the support. Hey, this is producer Matt Mitchell stopping by very briefly to say thank you to each and to every one of our BBOC listeners. In my job as audio director here, I am in charge of all of our podcasts. And while all of the podcasts are like my children, like my own physical children, it is very easy to select my favorite. And my favorite is this show, which has always meant the world to me as a producer and a college football degenerate. So thank you from the bottom of my black charred gambling heart for listening to this show this season and every season. And I wish you the very best of luck as we enter bowl season. Thanks for listening. Let's have a big conference championship weekend. Thanks as always to Colin for joining me. Thanks to our producer, Matt Mitchell on the back end. Thanks most importantly to all of you for tuning in. As a reminder, we'll be back recap show for Monday, 959, bad beat. Don't forget to call in the voicemail. Bowl previews will be coming soon. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck on all of your wagers this week. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.